available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Going to wrap up National Signing Day, at least the second one, uh, the February Signing Day. It's now the secondary signing day. How the Pac-12 did, we already gave you... Detailed analysis of all the Pac-12 North teams with Brandon Huffman and Pac-12 South teams with Greg Biggins. And we're going to answer a bunch of your questions today, some other topics too. If you do have questions for us, send them in. We're going to keep the off-season train rolling. We're going to head into spring football, start covering some of those teams. But if you have any questions about your team, other teams, your rival, anything like that, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Or if you would like to call or text us, you can do that too. Leave it a voicemail or sending us a text, 424 532 0678 is the number. We do love when you tweet at us. You can do that at Pac-12 Podcast. And of course, our website, Pac-12Podcast.com, where you can find all of the content created by us here at the Podcast of Champions. And if you're going on to iTunes or whatever podcasting app you have, please subscribe. Please rate us. Leave us a positive feedback. That's always appreciated. I haven't, I haven't looked at any of our feedback lately, David. Hopefully it's good. Yeah, we've gotten we've gotten some new reviews. Ooh. Let me uh, let me let me pull up a few. I think these were good ones. Let's see if there's been any new ones since I last checked. Uh, we have a five star review from White Lightning sixty nine. Said pretty good podcast. Well, first the subject line: the only Pac twelve podcast available. <laughs> and then the review: pretty good podcast. One of the hosts claims to know 100 words in the English language and sometimes teaches the other host some of those words. There's also pretty adequate jokes in some Pac-12 football analysis. Great. Uh, I love that. (laughs) DCNLA with another five-star review uh, makes a painful conference list. These guys makes a painful conference list. I don't know. These guys are the perfect mix of humor and knowledge. They are clearly fans of the Pac-12 but also get the straight skinny on how each team will perform Definitely not Herocious. Uh, Herocious. Yep, there you go. Bruin fan 8888. Slurp up them moist points. Um, <laughs> as a diehard Bruin fan, I never thought I would listen to a podcast with a Trojan host. However, I find myself tolerating, dare I say, enjoying Ryan's commentary. Jokes aside, Ryan and David's input on the Pac-12 is fantastic. Although they might always predict the outcome correctly, a fact they unabashedly admit to, unlike other college football podcasts, I appreciate their insightful and humorous take on the Pac-12. Thank you both for all your hard work. Ah, good stuff. So what I've learned from that, David, was one, just because we show up every week makes us the best because other people don't show up every week. Existence Um, existence (laughs) is is our main success. And then two, we do like... I, you know, when you see people like there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of TV shows, they just make predictions all the time. And there's not that many that keep track of if you get them right or not. And there's some shows that do and they'll have like, you know, if they have five hosts on there, then they'll have a competition between themselves. 
Um, but yeah, that I think we take pride in that. We were both well above 500 picking against the spread. Um, so I, I think we do a pretty good job with the picks, but we do keep track. We want, you know, it's like a competition, but if we really sucked at it, we'd probably stop doing it. But we're, you know, you cover the Pac-12 enough that you get a little bit better at it and you can do pretty well. I, I still pretty much suck, but yeah, I, 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 I buy that for you for sure. Um, yeah. And then there's one more, uh, this is from, uh, uh, whoa, where did it go? Uh, hoops coach 33. Great, great podcast, a thorough and thoughtful podcast covering all things, PAC 12 socialism, FIFA soccer, Larry Scott, and mostly USC and UCLA. Good job, Ryan Abraham and David Woods, but mostly Ryan. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that I, I needed to add that one because I didn't want to feel like I was editing that one out. No, uh, um, that's inside. Anyway, joke. Yeah. <laughs> all you people out there, all you people out there who um, who uh, who who send in emails and I know you show no discernment in the best of times and when you send certain topics and when you don't. But we are entering the deep and very dark off season here. I mean, we'll do some spring practice previews some spring practice touch ins and things with all sorts of writers and stuff, but your, your questions that you probably weren't saving, but maybe that we didn't answer during the season. Now's a great time to send them. Yeah. Great time because we, uh, we're going to need the content. We're going to need some, uh, some topics, but I think we, we should be all right for a while. I think spring football. So ASU Dave pointed out. So ASU did start spring football actually before signing day, which is crazy. Uh, but the rest of the teams will start up pretty soon. Uh, I don't know what is UCLA March USC's in March. UCLA's March, um, USC's March. I think most of them are March. I think there's maybe one or two more that are doing late February. But okay. for the most part, it's March and then April, I think, even with a few teams. Now, last year, I watched all the spring games, but uh, I no longer get Pac-12 Network. So I'm going to have to figure something out. I might get Sling or something so I can get it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll oh, figure Oh, you that better. Out. You better, because if you put me in charge of watching the spring games, as we learned last year, <laughs> That's that's probably not happening, my friend. I might be the only person on the planet that watched all the spring games. Like that might be. I I, I, I don't think there's any might be about it. I think you are the only person on the planet who watched every single spring game. That's for, that's and took a, notes. My my man out here took notes during twelve different spring games. I mean, if anybody out there has watched a spring game, like it's not a game. It's it's a it's a practice. Yeah, and it's. Maybe it's not an interesting practice. And, uh, but wow. you got some nuggets. Like we, we figured out who LaVisca Chenault was, you know, like I couldn't really pronounce his name that well at the time, but you you're figured like, it out. You figured it out. I didn't figure out anything. Cause okay. I didn't, I watched like half of the UCLA game and that was it. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we got a cool show for you today. Before we jump into it, we have a new sponsor here on the podcast of champions, a mint mobile. You might've saw their super bowl commercial. So they're doing the super bowl. They're doing the podcast of champions. So there's a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet in the showers. You don't want that. Eating dip with your fingers. Chunky style milk. And if you saw the Super Bowl commercial, that's where that's from. But also paying too much for your phone bill. That's not right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience and made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. And for a limited time, they're offering two months free when you buy your first month. That's 20 bucks for three months of wireless. It's a great deal, obviously. Uh, it's only going to be here for a limited time. $20 total will get you three months of wireless service with eight gigs of 4G LTE data each month. 
plus unlimited nationwide talk and text. You can use your own mobile phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You keep your old phone number, all your existing contacts, and they run on the fastest, most advanced LTE network. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So you can take advantage of this amazing deal for Mint Mobile before it's gone. Pay 20 bucks for your first month of wireless. Get two months free by going to mintmobile.com slash champs. That's mintmobile.com slash champs for three months of premium wireless service for just 20 bucks. Mintmobile.com slash champs. And a, a quick aside on Mint Mobile, David, uh, my roommate back in the late 90s when I was living in Manhattan Beach, uh, my buddy Tyler, he uh, graduated from Harvard, was working in like financial whatever, stuff, you know, whatever Harvard guys do. And uh, <laughs> he became the president of this company. <laughs> of, it's Ultra Mobile and Mint Mobile, I guess. Uh, so yeah, he, so he texted me. It's like, oh, our, we had a Super Bowl commercial. I'm like, you guys are sponsoring me on the podcast too. So um, pretty cool. So shout out to my buddy Tyler, who was the, he didn't make this happen. This really just came from a separate thing. We didn't even know, but it's kind of collusion. Cool. Collus- um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they had a Super Bowl commercial. It's crazy. That's great. That's great. So sign up for Mint Mobile, everyone. Help out Ryan's buddy, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> that should have been the ad right there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, we have so much signing day stuff to recap, Ryan. Yeah, what did you? I mean, overall for the Pac-12, what would would you think? Anything do we have cool? like a do we have like a prices right loser sound or anything like that? Uh, we have a. And, and we, this is this is one where our where our geographic bias might come in a little bit because for the North teams, I mean, Oregon had its best classes in a while. Washington had it had a really good class. So that's something. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh now now USC had its worst class in a while. It's worst full class in a while, I should say. Like it's from worst, a ranking perspective. It's worst full class since then we started keeping track. Like even right. the sanction years, like 2013 was their worst ranking previous, which was 13. But that class had four five stars and eight four stars. It was only thirteen people, you know, but it was still like the it was the highest average star rating ever. So that was the worst USC class until this one. So, so for contextualizing this, so the Pac-12 generally, like the narrative is that they did pretty badly. But if we're really locking in on the issues, USC recruited way worse than it usually does, and UCLA recruited way worse than it usually does was anyone else too far off because it looks like washington and oregon did better but everyone else seemed kind of where they typically are you know asu hovering around top 30 top 35 um cal utah being in the top 40 ish range i mean cal can recruit a little bit better utah has recruited a little bit better at times but not too different from that well there, right? uh, yeah so matt hilton uh you can follow on twitter matt r hilton posted Hinton. Hinton. I'm sorry, Hinton. Hinton. Oh, it's not Hilton. Sorry. My bad. H-I-N-T-O-N. No, you're, good. you're good. You're um, good. Biggest over under achievers in 24-7's 2019 composite rankings uh, compared to their average class rank over the previous four years. So he did this for Power 5 programs. So there are uh, three Pac-12 teams that are on this list. So it's not just USC and UCLA down, but also Utah, which is a little bit um, surprising. So Louisville did the worst. 40 spot, but 28 spots worse for UCLA. They were 43rd this year, 15th before. 
Um, USC dropped 14 spots. That's probably going to go up to 16 because one of their commits, Puka Nakua, is not going to sign. Mostly likely going to sign with Washington or Oregon. Um, and if he he's a he's like their third highest ranked player in the class, so they'll drop from 18 to 20. So that would this be this Utah one. The Utah one changed though, because Utah's now at 43 instead of 48. Oh, so they moved th- up. Okay. They wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't be included in this list anymore. Oh, nice. Okay, so this was. Uh, oh, so Utah. This is yeah. a couple of days ago. Yeah. Okay. So they must have gotten. They must have gotten a late guy. Let's see. I think I think I do remember that Utah kind of moving up. Yeah. A bit. I wonder if this was before the Wilmore thing. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was in the. So, but you know, and I think Washington State also. Um, let me look them up real quick. I think they, I mean, they're the 11th best class in the conference. Um, you know, that's 64th, uh, 11th in the Pac-12. Last year they were 45th. So that's a that's a pretty big, um, you know, jump too to go from 45th last year to 64 uh, this year. I didn't see. Yeah, I, th- I think the middle is pretty soft when you're looking at the rankings because the difference between like the 64th best class and like the I don't know. 44th is like, uh, what is it? 30 points here. Yeah. About 20 points, 20 points. So, and then the difference, I mean, at the top level, it's a big difference between different levels, but the middle in these rankings is just kind of soft, which is why I wasn't getting too excited about it. The big difference is when you have teams, USC, a typical top eight recruiting power drop into 20th. Whoa. And UCLA, a typical top 15, top 20 recruiting power, dropping to 44th. Yeah. That's crazy. Utah being in, you know, variance level between 35 and 55, I don't think that's any real difference. That's just, you know, whether they had night. I mean, if they had a full class of 24, 25 guys this class, they probably would have been right around 35 again or 30. Yeah. Um, so it's but when you get into the differences at the top, you had two big jumpers. But even Oregon, they didn't jump up enough commensurate like in 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 measure compared to UCLA and USC to make up for that. Um, you know, they went up to seven, but last year they were what, thirteen. Yeah. Uh, so that's the issue. I mean, you have two the two LA schools falling off drastically, and and not anyone else really making up for it. And I, and I think when you dig down into the numbers, like what David said about the middle, and I did this recently when you look at. So just for people like if you don't, you know, follow his recruiting as much, typically there's 32 five stars in every class. And and I hate when people are like, see that that the Super Bowl MVP was a two star, that the recruiting rankings don't matter. It's like you go look in the in the class, and I did this. Um, there's like over fifteen hundred three stars in like the in a class, and uh there's thirty-two five stars. So yes, there's a much bigger talent pool to choose from. And the four stars, there's like a couple hundred, 250, something like that. I, I forget exactly what it is. It, maybe it's 300. It's, some, it's something in that range. But if you're in the four-star range, I mean, they're, they're going to be pretty good dudes. But in the three stars, if you're like ranked, um, you know, number 350 as a three-star, that's pretty close to a four-star. But if you're ranked like 1,500, you're still a three-star. There's a, there's a big difference between... Uh, those two, and it's funny. I, I don't know if you ever get in this debate, Dave, but people are like, "This is why stars don't matter." And like in USC, signed a whole bunch of three stars. They signed eighteen, and they've never signed more than eleven. Um, so some people are just like, "Yeah, you want three stars because they're the ones that that you know develop." And it's like, "Shut up, that's not that's not right." But I, I so I said, "Okay, I'm going to give you. I'm going to take a random pool of ten five stars, 
uh, from a recruiting class and then 10 three stars and let's see what their careers ended up. So I went back to 2014. I did it for a couple and I haven't tabulated everything yet. Um, but it's funny, like one of the pools of three stars, like no one's in the NFL and like the five stars, like most of them are, it's like, it's, you know, it's pretty crazy. But one of the random pools of three stars I did, Patrick Mahomes came up and, uh, and Harrison Phillips from, from it's, it's Harrison Phillips, right? Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. From Stanford and a couple other guys that were at, like, so like I hit the right notes, but those were mostly the higher ranked three stars. So um, it, if you break down the number, I mean, just, just look at like how many three stars there are. And there's a whole bunch of two stars and, and stuff too, but there's a lot, a lot of bodies to choose from. And, you know, odds are some of those guys are going to just get better and, and develop into somebody, you know, amazing, like a Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I, I, well, my theory on it is that we really fail everyone in high school when we make calculus part of the, the basic math track and not statistics. Um, because people don't understand, like they don't understand that you're, you're, you're making the calculation based off of the amount total available. So if it's, if there's only two, two former five stars who make an NFL all pro team, that's still pretty damn good because (laughs) that's, that's a pretty damn good hit rate. And it's more than that. Almost every single year, it's way more than that. Um, it's the hit rate out of how many four stars out of the total number of four stars available end up hitting at the NFL level. How many three stars out of the total number of three stars available? Um, generally speaking, the recruiting rankings do a damn good job of doing this. Um, now, if you want to get into real nuance of it, there might be some confirmation bias. I don't think evaluations are perfect at any level. We've done, we've talked about this before, but you could have the same confirmation bias that goes into whether or not a kid goes to a good high school program. You know, he gets he gets, quote unquote, recruited to modern day or whatever um, because somebody was hyping him up as an eighth grader. And then because he got hyped up, maybe he's not that good, but he then gets a five star ranking um, because, you know, there's there's degrees of these things. And yeah. maybe he was more of a four star talent. And then there's this confirmation bias that goes forward because then he starts early as a college player and gets a little bit more attention and development. And then he gets the confirmation bias and now he's a top five pick when maybe his talent didn't warrant that. You could make an argument to me about that. But generally speaking, the thing, the the, the whole system does a really good job. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking at it from just like a team specific standpoint, I'm not going to trust Clay Helton's ability to develop three stars because where's the proof of any of that? He can barely win with five stars and four stars. So what makes you think he's suddenly going to uh, develop a great evaluation skill and a great development skill and get these three stars to perform better? But you give that same group to Chris Peterson, I might say, okay, I'll, I'll buy your argument that this is a good group of players. But for Clay Helton, no, he's shown he can't win with top talent. So why would you think he's going to win with developed talent? Yeah, and I, I think there's a DNA of certain schools. And I think both USC and UCLA got away from their DNA this past uh, this past class. And people are like, well, you're trying to get three stars because those are ones you, you know, if, if that was your plan, like if your plan was going into the season, and this was Chip Kelly's plan, apparently, um, to get the OKGs, what Chris Peterson calls our kind of guys. We talked about this with Brandon Huffman. Uh, that's great. You know, I think Washington started off doing that and then they've built up more and more getting more of the four stars, you know, and higher ranked players each year. And I think that's a great way to do it. But that's that's the DNA of how he runs his program. USC's DNA has not been to 
you know, they, you bring in some three stars, but it's been to bring in the highest ranked players you could possibly rank, whatever egos, whatever is involved, and just do that. And this is a, a shift away from that. UCLA, same sort of thing. You're in LA, you can bring in local four and five star guys and and do really well with that. Chip Kelly shifted away. So he's trying to change the DNA of the way like a UCLA program uh, recruits. And the weird part is like the, the reason we all thought that Chip Kelly would be a great hire is because what would his system do with all that top talent? But you accept the recruiting as a given. Yes. You accept you, 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 you expect that and you're like, okay, well, Chip Kelly did it with top 40 guys at Oregon. What's he going to do with top 20 guys at UCLA? And Lo and behold, he's trying to recruit like it's Minnesota <laughs> or not even not even. I'm assuming Minnesota recruits hard. Um, <laughs> no, it's I mean, it, the, the UCLA thing, I think, is even USC is USC is it's in a familiar territory for anybody who's followed. I, I think any program that's on its, you know, on the final year of a coach, they're in dead man walking territory and their dead man walking territory is still a top 20 class. But that's what it is. Guys just don't want to sign on with a coach who's very likely not going to be there in a year. Um, UCLA is in the first year of Chip Kelly. This is the first offseason. It doesn't make any sense what they tried to do this cycle. Um, they tried to make the UCLA offer coveted um, coming off of a bad couple of years under Jim Mora. And then what was a very bad first year under uh, Chip Kelly going three and nine. Um, they tried to make it an exclusive coveted offer. Um, they tried to emphasize guys who wanted to be Bruins versus guys they actually had to sell and recruit hard. And the end result was a complete flop. Um, and that's not to say that some of these 19 guys that UCLA signed can't be good, but it's the same thing that you were talking about. Uh, you signed a group of three stars. Yeah, there can definitely be a hit rate. And maybe Chip Kelly is a great developer. But if you're playing the larger numbers and you're looking at the larger scope of things, it's a little bit more questionable and then on top of that signing only 19 guys when upwards of 30 guys have left the program either through transfer or injury or whatever since chip kelly came on board um you needed more numbers uh ucla is going to be in kind of self-sanctioning territory next year unless they really hit the transfer market hard because they're at about 73 scholarship players heading into next season now um and wow. that's not even counting whatever attrition might happen in spring Whatever attrition is still to come, and uh, yeah, there uh, it's complete failure, um, and that's that's just on the effort. Um, and so I I think it's it's similar results for USC and UCLA in terms of the relative disappointment compared to their usual, um, but I think two different methods at play. There's also some concern, David. We can talk about uh, the Pac-12 in general. Um, we know Oregon had the top class. Uh, they got five players from the the top twenty in California, so that's a huge, that's a huge move. Washington ended up getting three of them. Um, USC, UCLA, Stanford, and Cal combined to get four of the top twenty in California. Typically, like USC will get like eight to ten of them, like just themselves. So it's it's definitely been a shift. I think the Pac-12 North has been able to take advantage. Uh, four of the top, you know, six classes in the Pac-12 are from the North. Um, so I think that's, a, you know, certainly a strong move, but I think the the most concerning thing to me, David, is that you look at Texas got as many top 20 players in California as USC did. They both, they got two, um, third, you know, seven of the top 20 players in California left the PAC 12 footprint. And someone asked on Twitter, uh, is that typical? And I went through the numbers of the last several years. I think there was one year where the PAC 12 lost eight, but 
usually most of, you know, the majority of them, maybe three or four leave and the rest stay in the Pac-12. But, you know, they, and I, John Wilner's wrote about this too, where like the Alabama recruiters when uh, Tasha Poy was there and, and you know, Clemson coming in, Texas coming in, Michigan, like they're coming in and getting and picking out. They, they sense weakness in the Pac-12 and they're able to pick out some of the best players uh, in California and it could be somewhat of a talent drain, I guess, on the conference, which obviously isn't going in the right direction now, but this could this could make things worse. Yeah, you can't allow – I mean, if it's interconference, it's one thing, right? Because at least the, the talent is staying within the conference, um, but you can't allow – uh, those programs to poach really much at all, um, given how difficult it is for really any Pac-12 school to pull out, pull out of the South. Um, you know, the Pac-12 can generally recruit Texas pretty well, but anywhere in the deep South is very, very tough. Um, and allowing any of those programs to come out West at all is uh, generally a bad thing, even if it's Texas. Um, and, uh, but for, I mean, for Oregon and Washington, um, I think it's a combination of two things. Finally, the, the 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 perennial North dominance, I think, is finally taking hold a little bit with some of these, you know, I think some of the high school programs in California, but also just some of the kids. You know, they've seen, they, they saw Oregon under Helfrick and Chip Kelly, and they've seen, and Cristobal is obviously doing an incredible job recruiting there. Um, and then Washington's you know, relative dominance of the conference over the last three or four years. Um, you see all of that and for a long enough period of time, and that starts to shift the winds a little bit on its own. And then you combine that with, again, USC and UCLA historic, recruiting at a historically low level for each school. Um, it was a great combination for those two North schools, and it's going to set them up now. I mean, we've seen Oregon dominate the conference in the past with, uh, top 20-ish classes, top 25-ish classes. Um, this is two back-to-back top 15 classes. And Washington, we've seen them win the conference with on the backs of what were top 30-ish classes. What are they going to do with consistent top 20 um, with Chris Peterson as their head coach? Uh, this is, I mean, it, it's setting up for even more kind of an uneven balance between the North and the South uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, for sure. And I think... I think Washington has the ability when you get bringing some of those athletes where you see when they made the playoff a couple of years ago, maybe, you know, there was a deficiency there. What can they do with the uh, upgraded level of athlete? If they, if Chris Peterson, you know, he's obviously a great coach. Can he keep it up at that level and then compete when you do make it to uh, the college football playoff? And then obviously Oregon's trying to get back uh, into that. There's going to be a lot of talent there. Um, you know, little concerning last year when you know, when you had a guy like Justin Herbert and he's coming back and the offense would still struggle at times. So I think you know putting that stuff together, I think you got to give him a little bit more time, but there the pieces are going to be there if they get coached up well that Oregon can make a run too. And you know, you never count out Stanford. They had a you know top 4 class in in the Pac-12. Um, you know, they didn't run the ball very well last year. Uh well, I mean we'll see, but it looks like there's a lot of positive stories coming from there. And then having like Washington state be like an afterthought when they won, uh, you know, as many games as they won and just didn't get, you know, bringing the greatest recruiting class, but they, they usually don't. Uh, and he does well with that. So that the good storylines are in the North right now. Um, but you know, in the South it's, it's just sort of this muddled mess a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's going to need to get corrected here pretty soon. If the South wants to, to start, you know, 
actually winning the conference occasionally. I do want to shout out, though, I think ASU really did do a good job. Um, I think their class ended up pretty strong. Um, and I think uh, truly a, a testament to the effort of Antonio Pierce. Um, but that was, uh, I think that was a really good table setter class for, again, kind of the first year coach in his first big class. I mean, nailing the top 31 class at ASU, that's pretty good, especially when it's a not a 25 man class. It was a 2021 guy class. Yeah. So uh, that was pretty good. And they, you know, they were already done. They're like, ah, we're done. We're going to start spring football before, before signing day. Um, right. So, okay. So we talked about the kind of the drain a little bit. Uh, do you, I want to touch on like the transfer portal and the early signing period uh, uh, a bit, because that's, these are things that have changed the way, you know, we've covered this for a while. This has changed the way the landscape. And I think there's some programs in the Pac-12 that have done a pretty good job of taking advantage of this and others that, that, that haven't. But what are your thoughts on this? How, you know, and, and we just learned that Justin Fields is going to be immediately eligible. So does that open up complete free agency? We'll find out with Brew McCoy leaving USC and going to Texas if he gets a, a you know, a, a with a waiver and then becomes immediately eligible. But uh, with the early signing period in the transfer portal, how do you think this has changed recruiting? Well, the early signing period has changed it drastically. Um, most, uh, I mean, it's completely devalued February. Um, like there's just not many guys available anymore. Um, most, most dudes are signing in the early signing period. Um, I wish they would make it earlier. Um, if they're going to have two signing periods, I don't know that there's much value gained in doing it in December versus February. Um, but I, I think that has changed things drastically. Um, I think it informed part of, I mean, speaking for UCLA, I think it informed part of their strategy because they were thinking, okay, most everyone will fill up and then we can kind of poach who's left, which sort of worked when Chip Kelly first came in, didn't work this last cycle. Um, but I think that has just, it, it's basically just shifted the timeline up a little bit earlier because people are treating December more or less like what February used to be. Um, the transfer portal is interesting. We're not really going to know. I mean, from a player perspective, we know right now that more guys are going in. Um, I, but I don't know at what level of seriousness they're going in. Are they testing the waters? Are they, you know, it's, 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 we won't really know until the cycle is complete exactly how much player movement this actually, you know, entails. Um, but there's a, I mean, what is it like? Aren't there like 2,000 people 2, in that portal now? I think it's like um, twelve or 1,400 Division One guys, you know, FBS guys. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's wild. Um, and we'll see how, what that ends up looking like. And if any, if how many of these guys, because previously you would see transfers and sometimes trans, guys would transfer out and then just end up at the FCS level because it turned out they're probably just not good enough for this level. Um, how much of this will end up that? How much of these are inter-FBS impact transfers? Is it really that much different from years past? Um, and we won't really know. I mean, not even really after the first year. We're not really going to know until a few years. I guess the thing we'll be able to judge this year is how many guys actually move on from one FBS program to another. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, I, w I, I don't know how much it has changed people's strategies in terms of recruiting. You still saw a lot of guys take full classes, um, of, of, of players. Um, is it realistic to assume that some school might be able to pick up eight or 10 transfers in a single cycle? Uh, I kind of doubt it. Um, but it's going to be interesting. Um, and I don't know that we'll know the full ramifications until we see a full couple of cycles of it. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I think you're right, and I think it's. I think it's really going to impact. Uh, it could help programs that are stable. I think it could really impact struggling programs, um, because the the early signing period. I, I hate the timing of it. And I think we probably talked about it on this show too, um, where it's a time when it's not just you know your teams are preparing for bowl games. It's just too close to the regular signing period. I think the the intention was. To make it so guys that are like, you know, the quarterback that's been committed for a year and a half can just sign. They didn't realize that, you know, this is one of those unintended consequences things. It changed signing day. It made it this early period. And I think you'd be better off having something in like, you know, something earlier or whenever, if you want to do August or whatever, have it then where the guys that are just like, I'm signing with this school no matter what, they can sign. It's a few, it's a handful. I think that was the intent is to have like a handful of people sign. Now that everyone's signing, I just think you put it too close to the regular one. And so if you're a team that's, you know, firing your coach and struggling, I think there's got a lot of decisions are going to be made because of this early signing period as far as hiring, firing coaches and things like that. And then it's going to impact a lot of the players. If a guy gets fired right after you sign, you know, do they want to transfer out? They go into the portal. And if you're a struggling team, you might have issues with that because of your coaching changes for signing day. But then you might have issues with players wanting to leave because it looks like it's a sinking ship. And if, if you can just be eligible right away, there's no, you know, there's no incentive really to stay. So I think it's, it's, I, I don't like the direction it's going at least, you know, personally, but um, I, I kind of would like to see a signing period, early signing period where you can just sign if you want to, but it's before December. Like the timing for me is the, the bad part of it. Yeah. I think if I had like two tweaks for each, I, I would put the early signing period, like, I don't know, August, yeah. July, something where it's basically you can do your official visit in the spring and then sign if you want to. Um, so that, you know, like quarterbacks oftentimes want to show that they're locked up to a school so they can help recruit. Like that's a big thing with a lot of schools. Um, but just, uh, there's, there's some guys who just know from the beginning, Oh yeah, I'm done. And I, I want to be done. There's some guys who hate the recruiting process. They're few and far between, but there are a few. Um, so yeah, let them get it done. Um, so I, but I would do that early, not yeah. after. I think that's what they that's wanted crazy. this to be. I don't think they realized it was going to take over signing day. You know, like it, that it's really what it's done. But it, but it, it, it like doesn't even change it, what it does is I think for certain coaches, it helps them a little bit. I think Saban was saying, I don't know. Somebody was saying it helps them a little bit, but um, for the players, I don't know that it, it gives them really any benefit. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, they, it, it just basically makes it so that, okay, I can, if I don't like recruiting, okay, that's a month off from it. But yeah, otherwise, it's not that much. But if you let them sign in July, then they can play their whole senior season, not having to worry about any of that stuff. I think that could actually that could actually be beneficial for guys rather than just a I don't know a new February. Yeah, the transfer portal. I kind of i I would like it to be a, even a little bit more extreme. Um, let let it be known that everyone is immediately eligible. Like, let that be absolutely true. Wow. Keep the rules. Keep the rules on contact, though. So you can't be contacted until you are in the portal. Um, so it would make it, I think, uh, more difficult for some teams to plan for it. Um, and you would still want to recruit high school very heavily because you don't really want to change that game. Because also, I don't I don't know for only a couple of schools is going to be sustainable to just build off the portal. But. Yeah, I'm all for a little bit more freedom with uh, with players who want to transfer out. Um, I think that's fine. Um, 
because it'll, I, I think it would sort itself out a little bit over time. Um, you know, the, the, the spate of uh, true freshmen who transfer out right now because they don't like that they're not going to get a starting spot. Um, I, I think that's happening regardless. Um, so I don't know that this would change it at all. And I, I don't know. I, I think uh, we, we should see more good players playing and uh, getting them immediately eligible. will let them play and let them, you know, build some cachet for their future prospects. I, and I don't really care about the teams. I mean, they're going to, Teams will have some benefit from it and that they can pick up uh, transfers. And if you've got a program where guys are transferring out willy nilly, well, you've probably got a problem in your program. <laughs> one quick thing on the uh, the early signing period. I think the one the thing that the players that are helped are the players that don't sign because there's such a small pool of players to pick choose from um, after the early signing period. If you're like the only four star running back that hasn't signed. And there's like five teams out there that need running backs. You might be getting offers from schools that wouldn't have offered you otherwise. So I think some people, some people have played it smart and they can, uh, you know, even if they're like a middling three-star guy, you, you know, a, a struggling program like USC comes along and they have to offer a bunch of dudes as plan B and plan C. So you may have never got a scholarship offer to USC or Ohio state or something like that, but they, they missed on some guys for the early signing period and you're the only one left that's that's decent <laughs> then you get to go to a school that maybe you wouldn't have gone to otherwise yep that's true uh interesting yeah and with the the transfers if you open it up and it becomes free agency you wonder like well okay so say iowa state wakes up and like half the team transfers out you can only bring in 25 guys every recruiting period but you still have the transfer portal there so you could go back and, and go into your free so if you lose some free agents you can go back and get other ones uh, and try to bring them in. So maybe you have to go and you're bringing in some former, you know, D2 guys or something. I don't know. But at least if it's open like that for everybody, uh, then I think if you lose people, you could still go out and and try to fix that. So uh, I don't I don't think it would be the worst thing. And, you know, if you're a regular college student, you can leave whenever you want. So I, I, I don't have an issue with that either. Yeah, I think it's – and it gives – it gives players more power. Um, right now they're pretty powerless in this entire whole – deal um so giving them a little bit more leverage a little bit more um of a stick i think would help uh and you know make it so i don't know there'd be a more accountability with coaches and kind of the screwed up things they do if maryland had 40 transfers coming out the year before that kid died well maybe that's a sign that you need to figure some things out yeah um i think there'd be a lot of a lot of potential benefit beyond just simply who's going to be good and who's going to be bad yeah one of the other topics too, um, I, I saw this story on SB Nation. So they do all the great uh, S&P plus work, Bill Connolly and stuff. And Dave's more of an expert on this, but it's basically the uh, college football rankings from the last five years. And basically 11, they, he took the 11 power five teams that saw their averages fall the most over that period. Of those 11 Pac-12 teams, six of them were in the Pac-12. So half the Pac-12 was on this list. And he wrote... In there, it's not news that the Pac-12 has been struggling. It's it's had a it's had a team in the college football playoff just once in four seasons, but that's happenstance. This proves that the issues run deeper than simply not having a 12 and one or 13 and 0 conference champion. Only three Pac-12 teams, Cal, Utah, and Washington State, improved their averages on the list, and only Cal did so by more than just one point. Colorado stayed the same. Washington slipped ever so slightly, and the other eight teams all regressed. That is, to put it lightly, disconcerting. Um, so I don't know if you want to, 
if you saw that, Dave, and uh, any thoughts on that? But that's it doesn't seem like the the, the teams in the Pac-12 are trending in the right direction. No, no, and I think you know some of it is uh, the the snapshot that he pulled. What was it? The last was it the last I, four seasons? Think, last five seasons? I think five. I think five years. Yeah, Washington. Um, in a in a snapshot that includes the two years before Peterson really got it rolling, yeah, I mean it's not going to look as great, um, but they are a different team over the last three years than they were um, in the beginning stretch. So a snapshot that includes just the past three years might be more favorable to Washington, but it's also going to be probably much more detrimental to say UCLA. Um, so there's yeah, I mean there's real serious problems here. Um, you know, we talked about it, I think, last week when we were talking how that 2013 uh, season for the Pac-12 was like a historical high or, or pretty close to it. Yeah. With four, four SRS top 10 teams. Um, it's kind of dropped off a cliff. Um, and it's it's easy to point to individual reasons why um, Oregon, it, it was a slow, slow burn, but fell apart after Chip Kelly. Um, it took three years of Mark Alfred for that to fully happen, but it was... It was it was trending um, not great, even with a college football playoff appearance. Um, and Stanford uh, has still kind of trucked along, but hasn't reached that peak again. Um, maybe just because of the lack of uh, truly elite quarterback or whatever you want to say. But I mean, even if you're pointing at all of that individual stuff, it's it's just not good. Um, and you had a lot of that that 2012 class of coaches just kind of peter out over that the last five years, you know, Todd Graham at ASU, Jim Moore at UCLA. Um, but that's all kind of individual. I don't really have a great explanation for it on a broad scale because the money issues didn't really even start hitting five years ago. Like that's become more of a very recent thing. Um, it doesn't, I, I mean, I think you could probably look at, uh, talent trends um you know who's been recruiting well uh in different areas but no i think it's i I think it's a it's an unfortunate time to just have one of those kind of general downturns um and uh because there's a lot of other factors that you can point to that i don't know that they explain it like i don't think the money issues explain this right now this is more of a this is something that started five years ago. Yeah. I I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things and it's not like, it's not just like he said, making the college football playoff once in the last four years, it's Washington state going 10 and two and not being in the top 13 and not being able to, or top 12 and uh, making a new year's six bowl. So it's, it's, it's like things would have to fall exactly right for the PAC 12 to, make a college football playoff. They're not getting the benefit of the doubt. They, you know, you, you look at these advanced stats and the teams are trending in the wrong direction uh, in general. Now, I think, I think there's some potential there. I mean, but you're looking at, it's mostly going to be in the PAC 12 North. Um, you know, unless we can see ASU make some kind of crazy run or Utah, you know, they're capable. The teams are capable. I mean, I, I, a lot of the teams are, but we just have seen them just kind of beat up on each other and no one really stands out, especially in the South. Um, so we'll, we'll see if this changes at all, but it's not a, it's, it seems like a pretty disturbing trend. Yeah. And I think uh, you can still pin a lot of it on USC, just not being and performing like USC. Um, because whichever five-year period you're looking at, USC has been historically not USC for the last essentially decade. Um, they were, 
in this average, uh, they've averaged an S&P Plus ranking of 14 over the last five years, which is about, I don't know, eight spots below where they should be on yeah. average. Um, and the previous five years to that, they were averaging 12th. So it's not like it's they've dropped off considerably, but they've just been at such a downturn that when you also take away Stanford performing at a super elite level and you also take away Oregon performing at a super elite level, uh, it it leaves a complete vacuum. You know, you can have those teams fill it. You can have Washington fill it. But when they're not consistently doing it and USC is also just not doing what it should do at its recruiting level, um, there's just a vacuum at the top. And yeah, you've got some you've got UCLA performing like uh, basic with UCLA. We've come to know and hate over the last 20 years, which is, oh, yeah, we don't know what the hell we're doing. We're going to recruit pretty well most of the time unless Trip Kelly's the coach. But we're probably not going to win too many games. Um it just you've got a complete vacuum at the top and is, you know, a, a surging Utah or a surging Washington state capable of putting together five years of, you know, top 15 play. I don't know. I don't know. But we know that USC is capable of it. We know that Oregon and Stanford are capable of it in the right circumstances. We know that Washington's capable of it. Um, those who are older than 40 remember that UCLA is capable of doing it. But um <laughs> It's just none of those teams are doing it over the last five years, except for this brief surge with Washington um, over the last three years. So you just need a standard bearer. You need one of these programs that historically has shown the ability to do it and hopefully more than one uh, start doing it again. And Washington's in the process, but they could really use a couple more. And yeah. Oregon's recruiting like it. Uh, USC, if and when they fire Clay Helton and hire a new coach, is going to be immediately capable of doing it again. Uh, Stanford, I think, is still hovering around that possibility, but um, that's what needs to happen. One of these, one of these other schools needs to step up alongside Washington and start performing that way. It'd be cool to see Washington State keep doing that too. I mean, they didn't have a great recruiting class, but man, they just always seem to be pretty good up there. But I, I think if they could recruit a little bit better, it's not easy to recruit to Pullman, but you could you could be in there. And you know, UCLA, David, they could always be back because they all you know they bring in top fifteen classes every year. So there's. <laughs> So it's, you know, I mean, didn't like, who was the, uh, the, um, the wide receiver coach for the Denver Broncos that came in? He recruited well, right? Uh, Greg Bagan certainly <laughs> thought he was going to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Greg, so Greg, yeah. Greg said he was going to be the best recruiter of like all time or something, but he, he had pretty good classes, right? Um, a couple of the years were okay, but no, he mostly recruited at a, at a relatively subpar level for he UCLA. Did, okay. Um, not Chip Kelly levels, but not, no, 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 no one, no <laughs> one has touched what Chip Kelly is attempting to do right now, which is turn UCLA into a school in the Midwest. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think if you're looking at the level for what UCLA should be capable of pretty consistently, look at those Mora classes because the new Heisel ones were like, <laughs> new Heisel was a freaky good recruiter. Um, I'll give him that. And so he was able to turn, some really crappy results on the field into some really good classes. Mora, he had a good, he had a couple of good classes, but for the most part, it was just comfortably top 15, top 20. Um, and I think that's, that's the, that is the resting level of UCLA. If they just don't get in their own way, recruiting wise, yeah. um, and which they're currently attempting to do. I feel bad. We always kind of take little shots at Carl Durrell, but uh, he's still coaching. He's, he was at the New York Jets as a wide receiver coach for three years, 2015 to 2018. He's now the 
Miami Dolphins wide receivers coach. He was at uh, he was offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt and quarterbacks coach in 2014, so that only lasted a year. Uh, but mostly NFL stuff. One stop at Vanderbilt since he left uh, UCLA. Yeah, yeah, hasn't had a storied career since then. But yeah, no, I mean he's he's kept coaching. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think you're working. It's like you, you must be pretty good at your job, you know. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Um, well, what should we uh, jump into some questions? I mean, I've got something to talk to you about. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we're invested, I think, in this podcast. We're invested in its success, right, Ryan? Very much so. Very much so. Very much so. Well, did you know Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks instead of, you know, interest in a podcast? ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and marketing data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock, quote, collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Podcast of Champions a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Portfolio. Sign up at champions.robinhood.com. That's champions.robinhood.com. Com. Yeah, go sign up. I got the app on my phone. It's pretty cool. And if you you can set up notifications, so just like you get a text message or something, like if you're worried about, hey, what you know, if you know, I, when is Apple going to drop below a certain level? They can send you notifications for that. So it's it's pretty cool. Go check it out. Um, Robinhood. I mean, champions.robinhood.com. Beautiful. Uh, we have a question, David. And you know, remember, we get people, we get these suggestions, and they're like. Pick uh, whatever for the Pac-12. We had a good one with like who would be a beer for each Pac-12 team. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark wrote in. You want me to read this one? We can do this. Uh, sure. Hey, guys, a week ago, and my, I'm losing my voice right now. I submitted the question, if the Pac-12 were a brewery, what type of beer would each Pac-12 school be? You smartly declined to answer since it was a pretty loaded and tough question to break down. In retrospect, that said, I've decided to put my money where my mouth is and supply some thoughts. So here we go. All right, so here's Mark's thoughts. Washington, a pretty good red ale. I like red ales. Uh, That's good. Nothing flashy, but pretty good, and currently the best beer in our brewery. This would be the one that keeps getting submitted at brewery, (coughs) excuse me, brewing festivals and always gets honorable mention, perennially losing to the much better beers from other regions. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't thick Mm -hmm. real? I like red. We talk about this. I like reds and ambers and things like that for whatever reason. Uh, I like it cold. I like cold beer. Cold beer is good. Washington State, a porter, good for a working class guy or girl on those cold Pullman nights. Yeah, those are like like a hefty. I like porters. Yeah, Yeah. they're like, you know, more fulfilling. You know, there's a a little hefty beer, I guess. Uh, Oregon, one of those really, really, really hoppy IPAs with a wild label and a crazy name like Go Duck Yourself. (laughs) I could see that. Yeah, I could buy that. Uh, Oregon State, a peanut butter stout. Okay. Quirky, and every once in a while, it's good. I'm probably thinking this because of Belching Beaver Brewery, which has this beer. Oh, well, he's did some research here. Stanford, a glass of Pinot Noir. <laughs> that's, that's 
fair, I guess. Uh, Cal, a quote, hazy pale ale, somehow infused with hemp called Rasputin's Pale Ale. <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, Colorado. Of course, like, just like you mentioned, because seriously, everyone drinks that there, or at least they did when I went to a game years back. Uh, yeah, usually, I mean, that's like, that's a beer that's associated with the state, so it's hard to go away from that. Uh, Utah, a caffeine-free root beer, I assume. Don't you have to register at the DMV to buy a beer in Utah or something? <laughs> I don't think it's like that. They're, they used to have to buy little cards. I think it was in Park City. Like, like you to go to a bar, you had to. Uh, it was like you had to become a member. They were like they were like clubs and stuff. But I, that was a while ago. I don't think you still have to do that. Uh, I just skipped ahead to Arizona, but keep going. Okay, Arizona State. <laughs> Uh, a party logger similar to Bud Light. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Like Arizona State would be good. Arizona, this would actually be. I'm sorry, what were we said? Nothing. Oh, okay. I just said I, I skipped ahead to Arizona, but just keep going. Okay, uh, Arizona, this would actually just be a plastic cup of Gatorade and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Red Solo cup. Okay, um, that's awesome. <laughs> Gatorade. <laughs> Uh, UCLA, an English style ale that's light and pretty forgettable, but leaves a bitter aftertaste, just like a season of UCLA football. Then <laughs> <laughs> USC, this would actually be a cocktail, a Molotov cocktail to be exact, since the entire school seems to always be putting out crazy fires. Zing. Thanks from Mark. Love it. That was good stuff. I liked Mark. all that. Yeah, that was way better than we would have done. <laughs> All right. What's next? What's next? All right. This is a text message. Uh, we don't know who it's from because, again, we just don't we don't have that information in front of us. Reading Ryan's Trogan War Room. I think he just he missed a J there and it went G instead. Misspelling. Um, and here's a little inside info I got from a former head of the USC Board of Trustees. The $15 million buyout was definitely the reason they kept Clay, but according to him, that was the number for not just Clay, but the entire staff. Makes the extension he got from Lynn Swan slightly less bonkers, only slightly. Yeah, so if you don't know, there was uh, there was there was a report. I think Yahoo put a report out there that Clay Helton's buyout was north of $15 million. And I had heard even... You know, and that that seemed ridiculous. Uh, and then I had heard a, a number that was even bigger than that. We put some stuff in the war room. Uh, we put that's like a Friday insiders column we put out every you know every Friday. Um, but so what what Lin Swan did was hire or, or sign Clay Helton to an extension because his contract was coming up in February of 2018. And no one you know there was no one trying to hire Clay Helton. There was no reason that you needed to lock him up because he would be going somewhere. Um, he was basically, even after winning the Pac-12 championship, uh, you know, a lot of people thought he was on thin ice and he really had to perform well. And obviously he didn't go in five and seven. But if Lynn Swan, who's, you know, never been an athletic director before, got raked over the coals by uh, Jimmy Sexton and really did sign him to a $15 million buyout or whatever, some number like that, it's absolutely ridiculous and if that's the reason you end up keeping them you might have a, a second bad year in a row just because of a horrible decision that your inexperienced athletic or uh, athletic director uh made and so i i'm not sure if it includes the assistance i do know that you know t martin was fired he's now hired by the tennessee volunteers he had two years left on his deal and was getting about a million dollars a year so they're still paying for him no matter what um now it's offset a little bit by whatever he's making at tennessee 
Uh, but I, I would think the big deal is not necessarily the assistants because they, they fired probably their most expensive one with two years left on his deal. Uh, but the the clay the, the fifteen million dollar thing, if you really did sign that, that's just a, a colossal mistake from an inexperienced athletic department. Yep. Nice. Absolutely. Uh, cool. Uh, let's see what else we got. This is Keith in Oakland. Hello, Ryan and Dave. Uh, which game did you guys enjoy watching more, the Super Bowl or the Pac-12 title game? Oh man, I, I'd almost have to go Pac-12 title game here. Yeah. I, I was not, I mean, it was, the Super Bowl was in your town. I was in Vegas and we were in like a big suite. So it, like the sound wasn't great, but we were just, you know, watching and stuff. So it, it's, it's sort of casual watching. It wasn't like I was watching on my couch and listening to every word that the commentator said, but it just was kind of boring to me. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. There's some people said it was great, all the defense and there was, you know, I think Bill Belichick had a brilliant game plan and all that stuff, but it just wasn't that. I was ready for a party and it just wasn't that exciting. So I would, I would go pack 12 title game too. Yeah. The, I mean this, uh, the, uh, the pack title game felt more competitive. Um, it was obviously a slog and awful, but it was, you know, it was at least, it felt like a game this, I, I, the entire time. And I have, I had absolutely no rooting interest except like the general vague rooting against the Patriots that everyone possesses. Um, the, the Patriots just felt like they were toying with them the entire time, yeah. like and toying with us as viewers, like <laughs> at any given moment, it felt like, oh, yeah, they could just score or whatever, because they were moving the ball between the 20s easily, like just up and down the field constantly, whereas the Rams, it felt like to like get a single yard, they had to like negotiate and sell their soul. Um, and the end result was just a just a bitter, awful ugly game um and the rams didn't look like they belonged on the same field at all whereas utah was competitive and you know they just couldn't score at all but they were they they looked like they at least belonged uh the rams didn't i mean they looked like absolute crap um you know i thought their defense a lot of people were lauding their defense after that game i didn't get that yeah they didn't keep they kept the patriots from scoring a bunch but they were allowing them to move the ball i mean at at will um so anyway, I thought uh, the Rams looked so inferior to the Patriots. And then even with that, it wasn't a blowout because the Patriots were just so committed and not like doing too much that it just ended up being just a miserable game to watch. Yeah. Um, I never want to watch any game like that again. <laughs> no, I mean, like I don't like, you know, LSU, Alabama nine to three or whatever. Like I don't, I don't like those games either. Um, it felt like that they were just toying with them. Uh, the, the, you know, the genius Sean McVay, the, the offense couldn't do anything. They needed, what was it? Like a 52 yard field goal was the only score they had in the game. And maybe the, the benefit of this, David is like if McVay won, um, then you're talking about like, uh, there's a offensive coordinator opening for like the Cal bears. They're going to go and, and hire, uh, Sean McVay's cleaning lady's niece, you know, because she's right. anything associated with Sean McVay was going to be. Just gold. Oh, yeah. Now the the shines off of it a little bit. Well, if it's the first time through, you're going against like the, you know, this is like Luke Skywalker going against the the Emperor, you know. So it's just you know, it's it was going to be tough the first time through, but I think I think they're going to be better going forward. But man, that game just wasn't, it just wasn't enjoyable for for me to watch. It was just more about drinking and uh, having fun. Yeah. So the Patriots averaged six yards a play in that game. Like anybody talking about the Rams defense as if the Rams defense actually played well. I don't know that they actually watched the game. 
Like they 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 weren't great. No. You allowed six yards of play. You're you're allowing a lot of explosive plays. There was so. a sack on Tom Brady. Like that's you know there was one sack, right? It was a one. I think there was just one sack, but yeah, one one yeah. sack. Um, and I you know Goff. Um, I don't know if he's it. Um, I, was that Jake Browning was playing and not Goff, or was it? It, he was just, I mean, and you know, he's obviously a young guy thrust into a tough spot, but that's, that wasn't good. Um, yeah. I mean, it's the first time through for McVeigh for golf for the whole thing. So maybe they'll get better, but yeah, that was a, just a horrendous football game. They had I mean, Bel- Belichick's Belichick's obviously the, the, the goat, but he's, yeah, goddamn, he's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, you got to use Gurley more. It's weird. I, I was, you know, rooting for the Rams more. I mean, I wasn't really rooting for anyone, but you know, I live in LA, so like the, I went to high school in Massachusetts, but like I grew up really first in Pennsylvania, you know, Pittsburgh. And so I've just been a Steeler fan. I never like adopted the Patriots when I moved there. My dad did. And like all, you know, all my friends back home do, but so I don't like, yeah, if they win, it's fine. Like that's where I went to high school, but it's not like I, you know, just die hard Patriots fan or anything. I, you know, I like the Steelers more than anything. So it would have been kind of cool for the Rams to, you know, bring home a title to Los Angeles, but it just wasn't maybe that's part of it, but man, it just wasn't pretty. No. All right. Next question. Yeah. This is from Brian. Uh Brian says, response to a question from last week and Super Bowl. We're gonna try to finish this up before uh, Ryan dies over there. Uh first off, thanks for keeping the offseason exciting and college football full for us again this year. First, I want to respond to the caller last week who said uh, Oregon State was an hour from Boise State. As an alumni of Oregon State, I can tell you that it is nowhere near Boise State. In fact, it's an eight-hour drive. Wazoo is the closest school at five hours. Although I don't blame the guy for having no clue where Corvallis is, (laughs) because really, why would you need to know unless you attend the school? On the Super Bowl, I want to congratulate all the people who watched as the Rams copied the classic Oregon State strategy of having their punter be by far their best player. Go Hecker and go Beavs. As always, love the pod, and thanks for all you do. Brian from Walnut Creek. Go Beavs and Hecker for MVP. Thank you, Brian. Hecker is ridiculous. And there was a chance they could have gone for it. on a. It was like fourth and short, and then they ended up doing a delay of game. It was like fourth and two, I think. I mean, it's like that would have been your best offensive play. You just let Hecker go back there and throw a pass. I'm sure they would have got the first down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do like him. Uh, let's see. Oh, we had – this is a – uh, text message again. This is from Oz. Uh, love the pod. Been listening since the beginning. Well, thanks. Thanks, Oz. Appreciate that. I've been wondering if you two are able to release some data about what Pac-12 24-7 sites have the most and fewest subscribers. Does the most subscribed Pac-12 24-7 site compare to other programs in the SEC? Thanks and keep it up. Um, that's all, you know, highly confidential. I would say, Oz, it's like, you know, how many uh, you know, you don't walk into a business like, how many customers do you have? Um, that I don't think that's stuff that anyone really shares. I think in general, though, um, you know, some of the bigger sites, like usually, you know, you know who the bigger sites are, like Washington's big, uh, UCLA, US, you know, USC, like those are some of the bigger sites in the Pac-12, my understanding. Um, and I think they compare fairly well to some of the other ones, but like, you know, there's some huge sites out there. I think the biggest site in the, not just in our network, but in our industry is the Texags one, the Texas A&M one. It's just absolutely enormous. Uh, I think the biggest in our network, Dave, might be North Carolina or 
Alabama. I mean, there's some really big. I know sites. it was North Carolina when it was Scout. I don't yeah. know with the merge what that ended up being, but North Carolina was always huge. And the interesting thing about North Carolina is you think, oh, basketball school. Even with North Carolina, football is a huge driver. Yeah. Like that's a huge driver of subscriptions. Just generally speaking, it's a more popular sport, even at a basketball school. It's crazy. And, uh, but I, you know, I think the Pac-12 would probably be a little bit more, you know, like, you know, like if you compare schools, like, like the Vanderbilt site and like the Stanford site or the Cal site or something, um, the Vanderbilt site's probably going to have more subs. I don't, I mean, I don't know this for, you know, in general, but there's just, it's a little bit harder on the West coast to, to do this. So I would say that the sites in general on the PAC 12 are probably smaller, but we have some bigger ones that can, can, can compare favorably with some of the other uh, big ones out there, but certainly not the biggest uh, in the, in the country is going to reside in the PAC 12 and maybe towards the bottom of it, they might not be uh, quite as big, but we have some, the good thing is we have some really great publishers <laughs> up and down. So like Angie doing an amazing job at Oregon state, like, she does really well there. I mean, they're, I mean, that's why, uh, you know, we ended up bringing her over from rivals back in the day to scout. And then now it's 24 seven. So I think you have some really good publishers out of Munster tiger at programs that maybe you wouldn't think had have a lot of subs, but they, they do a really good job. So they get a good, good amount of subscriptions. Yeah. I think that's all very true. Yeah. All right. We ready for Bruin Rick. Yes. He has a question about cutting the cord. Uh, hi, guys. I've been listening from show one. Thank you, Rick, and have really enjoyed hearing the podcast develop into its current excellent state. Little touches like the sound bites Ryan does make it even better. Now might be a great time to play Champagne Larry one. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's also been great following the both of you on Twitter and seeing your accounts blow up over the last few years. I have a question about, quote, cutting the cord. I remember Ryan announced he was doing this before last season, and I wanted to see how it went. How have you found that experience? Does the quality of watching football take a hit from relying on Wi-Fi for your feed? I was very excited to cut the cord myself as I pay for cable year-round for only sports purposes, but the options are confusing, i.e. which streaming service to use. I want all the network games, ESPN, Fox, and Pac-12 games. Another thing that I just can't get over is the inability to pause and rewind games. Is that really the case? How do you live without this? It's so great to be able to record the game and get home an hour later and watch it really fast by fast forwarding through the commercials, saving time and missing none of the action. Action. Why did I say it like that? Missing none of the action. Just curious about your experience. Thanks for all you do. Uh, Bruin Rick is from like Chicago or something. Maybe is that? I don't know. God, <laughs> words, words are hard. Uh, personally, uh, Rick, for me, it's been all right. Like it's significant savings as far as money per month, but your experience isn't as good. Um, I've run into a few problems. My wife complains all the time. Uh, we got through the, the live feeds are going to be 20 seconds or so behind what you, if you were watching with cable, it might be even a little bit longer. So if you're trying to tweet, like that's something you probably don't have to do, but if you're tweeting live or something during a game, there's some, uh, you know, significant uh, obstacles, I guess you'd have to overcome because you're going to be, you know, behind what people, especially be, you're going to be behind what whoever's in the stadium, but then you're going to be behind like the regular TV audiences watching like on ESPN through cable or satellite, you're going to be behind them as well. Um, so that's one of the things for me, we have Hulu, which I like the lineup. It's basically like basic cable, but the interface is just God awful. There's no you have to get, there's no numbers anymore. So it's not like go to channel 200 and that's ESPN or whatever it is. 
it's just like a list in alphabetical order of these channels. So if you're up at the top and you want to go, I want to watch TBS, you got to like scroll all the way down to go find TBS. There's no like easy way to get there. And it's weird with the, you can, it's sometimes you can fast forward through commercials. Sometimes you can't like it. That stuff's kind of confusing too. Um, so I like Hulu's lineup for like what we want to see. They don't have Pac-12 Network, unfortunately, but uh, but you can watch old shows and stuff too. Um, you know, watch different series. And I like that. But the interface is really kind of bad. And then I used to be able to watch it in my office too, but Hulu is really just, you can watch multiple screens, but it has to be in the same house. So I could watch like Hulu on a tablet in my office, but I can't put it on like a TV in my office. So there's definitely things you kind of have to get used to, but I'm probably saving more than a hundred bucks a month by doing it. So I think you, you know, you kind of have to weigh uh, what that is. I haven't tried some of the other ones. I've, I've done sling before and that was all right, but the interface is still a little weird. Yeah, I would. Um, so I recently cut the cord myself um, and I go with the sling the cool thing about Sling is that you can switch back and forth between the two different packages. Um, I don't know if you've gotten into it yet, Rick, um, but you can switch between Sling Blue and Sling Orange with no penalty, and you can do it immediately mid-month. Um, so you kind of can get both. Um, the difference is I think it's one stream per per, um, per account if you're only doing one of them. So that kind of makes it tricky if you've got multiple people watching at once. Um but that'll give you – and if you can do the combined. You can do Sling Blue and Orange, which is I think like – I don't know. What is it? Combined 40 bucks. Um, and if you do that, you'll get ESPN, all the ESPNs. And with that, you can go through your Watch ESPN app and also get the ABC game, um, which you can do through your TV depending on um, how robust your app selection is on your TV. Um, but you can get Fox. You get the Fox channels. Um, you get – pretty much everything that's going to have a game. And then you can also get the sports extra, which will give you for 10 bucks, the PAC 12 network along with some other kind of regional networks. Um, that's probably what I'm going to end up doing this season. And then there's going to be one-off situations. I'm sure where I'll have to, I think CBS might not be on here at all. Um, so for CBS games, I might have to watch that on my computer because CBS, the main feed of CBS is free over, um, the CBS sports website. Um, but I think for the large part, I think Sling covers most of what you'll have to watch for the purposes of um, Pac-12 play. Uh, the one missing piece that I can see is I think CBS Sports Network isn't on there. And I don't think that's free over the Internet from CBS. So that would be one where I think you might have to augment. Um, I know CBS offers a, a free trial on their um their own weird little service. So if you needed to use that for like one game of a CBS sports network, you could do that. But the general thing is it is more mixing and matching. And if you're trying to watch everything, it's going to be a lot more maybe making a plan for what you're going to watch versus what you're currently doing, which is flipping between channels on cable. Um, it's possible to do it all, but you do have to kind of mix and match things. But what I would say is, if you're not watching much of anything in the off season, which for my purposes, I don't watch all that much TV. I'm watching like Netflix. If I'm watching anything, I'm going to turn all this stuff off as soon as basketball season is over and then fire it up again in September. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's going to save me four or five months of paying anything. Uh, for you, it might be a different deal. Maybe you watch a lot of stuff that is, you know, broadcast live on, on network television. And in that case, 
this might not be a great fit for you. But if I'm only having to mix and match and, and find different services for essentially five months of the year, I'm fine with that. Um, and I'll, I'll save the money on the other four or five months. And I think the, the, the point that Dave brought up too, the local, if you like watching local channels, uh, like we just kind of got used to it. Hulu has them. So I think they have everything in LA except channel five, which is KTLA, but you can get like Fox and NBC and ABC and CBS and the, the, whatever, like channel nine. Uh, but you can't get channel five, uh, brew and Rick. So if you're in LA, um, but if you're on sling and I had that, like you would, you would probably need to have an antenna to get the local stations too. So then you're switching between apps. So it's, it's definitely a different experience. And I think you get so used to your channel guides and everything being in one place and all that stuff. And you know, if it depends what you want to pay a premium for that, cause that's kind of be what you're paying for. You can mix and match things like David's saying, it's just not going to be as easy to navigate through everything, but you'll, you'll be able to do almost the same things cheaper. Um, but it's not all in one place a lot of times. Uh, but you, you, people are used to it now. I think millennials for sure, you know, I'm going to watch this on Netflix or I'm going to watch this on Amazon or, you know, Hulu or whatever. Uh, so there's some mixing, matching, switching around, but the other, the other aspect is the local channels and some of the services will give it to you right there. So that's kind of nice where we can just have all that in one space where when I had slang before, if I wanted to watch ABC, I'd have to switch over the TV to the local antenna. Right. Uh, we got from Paul, I heard you enjoy graphs. He said, I thought I would start off with the most simple type of graph in existence, a pie graph, along with bright colors to keep Ryan entertained. <laughs> um, I love that I've become the more, uh, the more scientific and analytical among the two of us. So Andrew would send us, you know, tweet one of 16 and everyone would have a graph and stuff. And he's like, I would expect you, Ryan, to be understand these. Like, yes, I, Andrew, if I gave a crap, I would sit down and figure out like, but you put all these charts with no explanations or no, you know, nothing, no words around it. No, I'm not going to like, I don't care enough and no one's paying me to do it. Like when I was an engineer, I would get paid to analyze that kind of stuff. I'm not getting paid. So I wouldn't do that, but that's uh. We'll, we'll digress there. He said, after analyzing each Pac-12 podcast over the last year, I've compiled discussion topics into the chart below. No complaints about the less than 0.5% for Utah. I only listened for the Jake Browning jokes. Sorry to the North fans who didn't get a recruiting summary last week. Um, wait, we had a recruit. We, we did the North? Or- we did. Oh. We did the okay. previous week. I okay. think Paul, Paul might have skipped that show. Whatever. Oh, he did. Okay. Roll with it. So this is really hard to describe on uh, the the because this is an audio format. But he said topics of discussions by Pac-12 champions is very colorful pie chart. The biggest uh, chunk looks to be USC, then UCLA, then Jake Browning's return, <laughs> then Larry Scott, and then everything else. Then uh, Washington, Washington, Washington State gets four percent. Arizona State gets four percent. Uh, Oregon got 5%. So they're a little bit bigger. Um, Stanford, 2%, Oregon, one, Oregon state, 1%, Utah, 0%, <laughs> basketball, 2%. There's no way it's that high. Um, Cal, 2%, Cal and Colorado, each 2%, yeah. Arizona, 3%. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot okay. of two or yeah. 3%. USC got 20%, UCLA, 17%. Jake Browning's <laughs> returned with 16%. Larry Scott was 15%. So that's apparently what we talk about the most. Yeah, that uh, sounds right. He said, love the podcast. Thanks for making 
the horrific Pac-12 bearable. Maybe you could uh, have some fun with the always controversial Stanford marching band. Uh, then there's a wiki link. I'm not going to read that. Okay. Question one. <laughs> I was like, there's a lot to this email. Uh, for a vain 18-year-old kid who just wants to look slick for the ladies, what role do you believe flashy uniforms play in recruiting? For example, no offense, Dave, but although USC has a very classic look that instills nostalgia for those who remember their good years, their uniforms are, in my opinion, the ugliest in the conference. Why would that offend me, Paul? <laughs> I don't think Paul's like a you – know, he doesn't listen all the time. To what, well, <laughs> well, the chart I think shows that he does. What extent do you feel that Oregon's very modern uniforms play in this year's outstanding recruiting class? At least some amount. I mean, I think at least some. The, the hype from the Chip Kelly years and doing the whole uniforms deal – I, I think it's part. I think it's in part with that. I don't think it's like the last three years of their uniform changes, but what they were doing during that whole period, I think it built a mystique and a hype around Oregon that I think is playing into it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think I, I think it depends on the recruit. I mean, every kid is different. There's going to be kids that that love that, you know, um, and there's going to be kids that don't care about it. I mean, there's it depends what the prospect wants. And I think every school has a lot of positives and negatives and you're trying to just emphasize what the positives are and, you know, give reasons why you could, you know, uh, avoid or, or overlook some of the negatives. Um, so it's just going to be one of those things that you can sell. You'll sell it to all the kids because it's all, I mean, the facilities are awesome, uh, but it's not, it's not like it's going to be a lock. You know, you don't get every kid you want. It's not like, it might be the best facilities in the country. It doesn't mean you're going to get everybody. It's just, it's a part of it. And it's going to be more important for some uh, than others. Uh, question two, as a Utah fan, is it bad of me to want either Washington or USC to roll through the PAC 12 like they should? I believe that the conference is only as good as its best team. Who's that? The 10 and four Huskies, not good enough. Uh, that's I would say it's like a two part thing. If your team isn't good enough to do it, then yeah, it's fine to root for that. But if your team is even in the conversation, which I kind of think Utah was this past year, no. I mean, I would be rooting for Utah. Um, yeah. But if you're like, I don't know, a fan of, say, a team that just went 3-9, and nine, like, yeah, whatever. Washington, go go 12-0. and 0. Go, go wild. Um, yeah, I think that's fine. I, I think you need to root for just not, like, root for your team to beat whoever the power is, but not you're a couple other teams too. It's just everyone was losing. So, you know, if you lose or maybe you beat Washington and they end up 11 and one, like root for something like that. And they're still doing well, but it's just, there's too much, you know, it's everyone's mediocre and that's just not good enough. No. Uh, Paul from Utah, he says, PS autocorrect just edited my horrific to uh horrific. So H O R I'm sorry. Two F's to one F. Yeah. Two F to one F it's official. And they said, oops, horrific is a word, which I apparently misspell. Also, if you're curious, atrocious is too. However, their child, horocious, is still not recognized by spell check. Write your congressman, okay. Paul. We need to make that in spell, <laughs> <laughs> put it in spell check. It's important. Thanks for the um, thanks for the chart. That was great. I'm gonna put, put I'm gonna put that on my fridge. All right. So we got a nice long one to finish. Oh, good. So. I'm glad you get this one. Uh Chris from Seoul. Thank you, Chris. Don't sing it. Don't sink into an off-season slump, boys. Super Bowl is past. National Signing Day limped off with a whimper. As listeners, we brave sometimes inattentiveness, lack of relevant facts, and as recently noted in someone's email, an almost even split between correct and incorrect facts. 
We listeners love your irreverence, creativity, and ability to pull together a pod during the dead of CFB winter. College football. Uh, please don't catch the Pac-12 disease and slide into parody with podcasts on women's volleyball and men's water polo. That would be ferocious. Ferocious. I thought the three Washington players in the Super Bowl acquitted themselves very well. Sure, Littleton got beat by Gronk on a key play, but not because he was he had bad coverage, but because he was up against another Pac-12 alumni who made a great play. It was also good to see Danny Shelton make something of his snaps. He's had a tough time since leaving UW. Tough to watch Patrick Chung get hurt, though. Seeing the Pac-12 alumni perform well in the Super Bowl made me optimistic about the Pac-12 this coming football season. What say you? It had absolutely no impact on my optimism <laughs> about the Pac-12 this upcoming season. It was nice to see, you know, some Pac-12 names out there, but yeah, it was uh no. I don't I don't think that changes anything. All right. And then on that theme, some easy true or false. I love this. All right, you ready? Yes. Mario Cristobal proves to be the Kirby smart of the Pac-12. Great recruiter, struggles at key times with the coaching thing, and despite the talent, never wins a Pac-12 championship. I think Oregon would give their soul if he ends up the Kirby smart of the Pac-12. <laughs> you mean like flirting with the playoff each year that he's the coach? But he's saying, but they don't win the Pac-12 championship. Oh, my God. They're in the conference with that. Uh, I, I mean, it depends on what he means, like in terms of degree. Yeah. Like, does he mean literally what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia or what what that translates to in the Pac-12? Right, cuz I mean you would you would love to be Kirby Smart right now. You you know, playoff appearances and things like that, but that's uh I mean, I, I think I'm going to go false. I think the Oregon's gonna, I think Oregon's going to win a Pac-12 championship, but I think the, the jury's still going to be out on Crystal Ball. There was a little, you know, I have some concerns from, you know, what we saw last year, but Given the benefit of the doubt, I think uh, we'll see how he goes through this year. You got a you know stud quarterback. You got a lot of talent. Um, let's see what he does. If, if they struggle this year with the, the amount of talent they have on the team, then I think I think I'd, I'd be I'd agree with you there. If I'm just taking his explainer as the main point, which is he proves to be a great recruiter and struggles the time with the coaching thing, I'm going to say true. Okay. Um, Clay Helton defies all expectations and goes 10 and three wins the South and keeps his job. Lynn Swan becomes even more smug in his belief. He is always right. Urban Meyer stays retired another year. Uh, false, true, false. Okay. Uh, false, true. Uh, fa yeah, I'm going to go agree with you. False, true, false. I think it's gonna be really hard for USC to go 10 and three. Um, they, they didn't change enough. I think changing Graham Harrell will fix a lot of problems. If you add 10 points a game, um, you're going to win more games, but you might be giving up seven more points a game or something. That would be bad. Um, but Nothing I, I, can crack Lynn Swan's smugness. That's true, 100%. And uh, Urban Meyer. I think Urban that's Meyer a fake 2020. Retirement. Yeah. Yeah, fake retirement. All right. Um, Mike Leach lays an egg and Wazoo goes five and seven, misses a bowl, even though they do come close in the Apple Cup. False. False. Yeah. I don't see that one. Uh, David Shaw stubbornly stays smash mouth much too long in the season and Stanford finishes the year eight and five. True. True. <laughs> uh, Cal sets a conference record for fewest offensive points scored and still makes it into a bowl. A hundred percent true. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that, but spiritually true, <laughs> literally false. Okay, I like that. <laughs> uh, Chip Kelly demonstrates he doesn't suffer the recruiting foolishness gladly, gladly, and UCLA becomes mired in good steam, 
good schemes, poor talent. True. Yeah, I would go true with that. It's, I, I mean, I was I've been on the Chip Kelly bandwagon from the beginning. I'm saying I think it's going to be good, but this is just, and and even like beginning of the year, David's like, there's some stuff that's not right. I'm like, no, let him do his thing. It's it's his. Just let him do it. And then you why look, is this the one time I'm right? Why? <laughs> why does this have to be? I mean, I I was the one that was saying just just let him do his thing. That's why you hired a guy like that. But now I'm like, why the why why'd you hire a guy like that? <laughs> why? Why? Uh, you, know what, you know what the worst part is? It's like the USC fans that were that were telling me that Chip Kelly would have been a disaster at USC, and I was like, no, dude, you're an idiot. He'd be awesome. Uh, now I think. Well, that's right. the thing. It's like it's like it's a the process was good. The the, the actual <laughs> result, yeah, we'll see. It's like you're the you know you're a Michelin star chef, and you're like okay you have you know six months to go find all your ingredients for this amazing souffle or something, and you're like ah, I'll let my intern go and, and find some stuff at Seven Eleven, you know. It's like, it's, it's <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy, but maybe no, it's not good. Utah finds it is really hard to repeat as South champion and finish tied for second. Uh would I? Sure, true, true. I, yeah, but who's gonna win? Like Arizona, or Arizona State, Arizona State, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm. I might be back in Utah again, but I, I uh, I'm gonna say false. Okay, uh, one of the Arizona schools is surprisingly good, and the other is surprisingly bad. True. So you, so you think either one of them could win the South, but you think one of them will be? Bad. I'm gonna firm up. I'm gonna firm up my prediction right here. Okay. I think Arizona is gonna be surprisingly good, and I think ASU. I don't think they're gonna be bad, but I think they're gonna be like a little bit surprisingly bad from people who thought they were like, you know, gonna surge because they did lose quite a bit. Okay. Here, uh, I'm gonna say false. I, I think they're gonna both be like decent, and maybe one of them can make a run. But I, I don't think one of them is gonna be bad this year. Which probably okay. means both of them are going to be bad, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, one of the conference 2018 doormats, Beavers or Buffaloes, becomes the killer bees and finishes bowl eligible. The other bee repeats as doormat. False. I think you're going to have two doormats, but doormats with promise. Uh, I don't know where to go on Colorado if I think they can get back to bowl eligibility next year. That's, I think it's going to be tough with a new coach there. And I, I think Oregon State's a little too far away. I like the direction they're going. I think Colorado will go in the right direction, but I don't think either one of them is going to be able to be bowl eligible this year. I'll go true and just say Colorado sneaks into a bowl. Um, nice. First year Jacob, head coach. Yeah, yeah. I like Mel Tucker. He seems to be doing the right stuff there. Uh, Jacob Eason starts slow but catches fire to win Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year and goes higher in the pro draft than Justin Herbert. Fa- false. False. Yeah, I, I think he uh, could do the first part. I think Herbert, they just love him so much, he's going to be the first pick. I, yeah, and I don't think Jacob Easton's going anywhere after sitting out for a year and then um, playing just one more year of football. Yeah, yeah I, I think he, has, he, he has more eligibility, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got – I think he only played like a full one season at Georgia, right? Yeah, so he should have a couple years. Okay. Yeah, he should have uh, – let's see. He played – yeah, all of 2016 and then threw f- seven balls in 2017. So he got the redshirt year then, and then he sat out this past year. So, yeah, I think he's probably at, like, what, redshirt junior at this point? Something like that. Okay, yeah. So he'll have two years. Uh, anyway, uh, Pac-12 finishes the year with two teams ranked in the final AP top 10. 
False. False indeed. Uh, one Pac-12 head coach, OCDC, gets rated and becomes a P5 head coach. Hmm. All right. Who would be eligible for something like that? Um, so does that mean even a head coach? One Pac-12 head coach or an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator gets rated, rated and becomes a P5 head coach? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it could be a head coach too. All right. Um, yeah. Is there okay? But who is worth like who? What head coaches would get poached? Um, well, not even just the head coaches, but you, Jim Levitt. I mean, he could get yeah, a Levitt could job, do it. I I, Levitt's the one that comes up. I mean, a Tim DeRuiter potentially from Cal. Um, but like you know, someone's going to try to get Chris Peterson. He's not leaving. Like, will someone try? To, I don't think like David Shaw is not going to go to another. Like Mike Leach potentially could be poached away. Yeah, um, you know, especially if like. Graham Harrell does his offense looks good. And, and I don't know, someone, you know, some of the sec is like, we got to get, we got to get Mike Leach, you know, I don't know, but yeah. Okay. We'll go true. Yeah. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury does the Steve Wilkes and gets fired by the Arizona Cardinals after one season. Herm Edwards replaces him. False. <laughs> false. You can't false and false. It's like, if you fire a coach after one year, you can't like, do it again, like the next year. Like you're well, you're just you're just firing yourself at that point. Yes, there's no reason. Uh, Chris and Soul, we got the international questions. I love that. Love that. Um, I think that's all we got, Dave. That's all we got. That's we, every little bit of it. So we, we yeah. squeezed we squeezed the juice out of this thing today. So like hour and a half, um, mm-hmm. and we read all the questions. Like people complained if we went like hour and forty minutes and we didn't answer every single question. Like, what are you doing? You got more time. Uh, it's Saturday, everybody, too. We had uh, things. It was a busy week kind of thing. So we're we're doing a show. Uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do next week. And uh, what are we going to do? Like spring football stuff, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, we we'll got to do. That. We got to start doing our, our, our roundups and previews. So we'll probably start with Arizona and just make sure talk about stuff that he hasn't seen yet. Um, and then move on from there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we kill some more time next week. Um, you know, no, no, no. We're gonna have a substantive show. It'll be important. But uh, <laughs> maybe we kill a little bit more time before we start doing our spring stuff because I I think ASU will have still been the only one that started. Yeah. Um, and then we can go on from there. It might be cool to get some, you know, get like Chris Cartman on and have him talk about what's been going on, things like that. Just get updates with the different teams. You know, depending on the week, we could do one or two um, each week. See what they can do. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, we'll be fine. You guys, you guys are awesome. We do appreciate the all the feedback, all the uh, reviews on iTunes and and the tweets and and everything. And when we don't put out a show, you're yelling at us and all that stuff. But it's it's a fun, it's a labor of love for us, and we do appreciate it. Please visit our sponsors. Uh, thanks to uh, Robin Hood and Mint Mobile. Go check those out. Like we said. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.